This episode is brought to you by ISO 27K. We help companies meet privacy and cybersecurity standards, enabling them to close sale deals quicker, achieve cyber certifications and privacy alignment in minimum time. Visit our website at iso27k.co.uk. That is iso27k.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Data Protection and Privacy Podcast, hosted by David Clark. This podcast is about data protection and privacy technology. David chats with leading-edge technology companies and thought leaders to discover whether technology can make our data protection work easier. Hi, I'm David Clark of Data Protection and Privacy Podcast, and today I've got a great guest on. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. We've got Lazar from Celia. Welcome. Welcome, Lazar. Um, I was wondering if maybe you, you'd like to describe the company and your background. I think everyone would be yeah, thanks, interested. Thanks. Thank you. I'll, I'll start with my background. Computer scientist by background, I, I suppose not surprising. I've started my career developing software, kind of moved through the ranks, so became a director at a firm where we were looking over some of the, the largest software implementations in Canada, where I've spent most of my life. And then at one point decided to quit and, and start my own business. Uh, Interesting, which was, yeah. Which, which was pretty scary. <laughs> uh, also a great challenge. We, we created a very, very interesting, very exciting fintech focused on hedge fund operational software. And my partner and I, we ran that company uh, successfully. We had a very good exit of that company uh, two years ago, which, um, which opened up a lot of my time to do some angel investing and, and advising. And this is where, where I like would seal it. And, and, uh, and looking at what they do was extremely exciting for somebody who ran a business, understood this recurring theme of not being able to sleep at night with worrying about client data. Worrying Did you mean not being able to sleep at night because you were worried or because you can't get woken up because of oh, things going I actually, actually, no. for the both. The person was definitely both. And when we were a little bit better staffed, I would only get woken up for the really big problems with clients, but luckily there weren't many of those. But in general, not being able to sleep at night, I figured to be in the sense that when you operate a software for hedge funds, you typically consolidate hundreds of thousands of investor files, documents, passports. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, all that background ID, everything. Yeah, exactly. And no matter how much you know, we did invest a lot in security, still, we always saw that central point of failure is extremely dangerous. If we were to get breached, hundreds of thousands of documents would fly out about thousands of people. And that's something that obviously is top of mind for any business owner. So this is why I think it's exciting when I landed with Sealant to, to advise them this concept of finding a way to benefit with, with software, yet at the same time, at the same time not allowing the centralized risk was, was very exciting. So really do, you, do you want to kind of describe people listening, kind of what, what we mean by centralized risks? I know we were chatting earlier about this and maybe not everyone will be totally clear on that. Yeah. So, so centralized risk, uh, well, let me first explain how companies operate today. And, and this is standard. Most businesses yeah. in the modern world will use cloud-based SaaS platforms, which is oftentimes the right thing to do. Uh, you will use, for example, a CRM, maybe a financial tool, maybe a, a document center. Uh, maybe even something like Okta to authenticate for all of your staff. Yep. And, and and really what happens is you give up this this unspoken agreement that that organization managing your data can access your data as well. And if they can access it, then if they get breached, like we, we've seen with Okta, then the a nefarious actor can also access, access, access the data as well. So on the one hand, obviously, there's a lot of benefits to getting the economies of scale from all these platforms. On the other hand, you know, once you have all your eggs in one basket over there, then mm. once that centralized point fails, then hundreds of other organizations uh, get hit at the same So I guess what we're, we're actually saying is if your central point of access control, for example, is compromised, everything has gone. 
And I think we've seen that in many companies, haven't we, and banks over the last sort of 10, 15 years. It's never a simple compromise. It's actually, yeah, it was a simple compromise back to the main access control point where you'd log on and manage the users. Precisely. And, and even when we talk about zero trust implementations, some of them I, I have seen, you could say, implemented 95% zero trust, but in the 5%, which is the most critical aspect most of the structure. I just wondering with you, if you'd like to run through your thoughts on actually what zero trust is and how that benefits everybody rather than the centralized access. Yeah. Well, first thing it is, it's a buzzword, I guess, right now in the, in, in the market, which is a bad thing sometimes because it, it is misunderstood. Yeah. People don't necessarily understand how to implement it, how it works. But I think it's a good thing because it, it is bringing it front and center and mm. I, I believe usually from, you know, 20 years in the industry that this is the cornerstone for, for future cybersecurity for, for modern businesses. So the concept of zero trust is, I guess the philosophy you could say is based around never trust, always verify. And, yeah. and it focuses on proving identity, authenticating at every step, making sure that identity is solid, protecting connections and connect connections and not so much perimeters like we've seen in the old days. Yeah. Um, they, maybe just add a little bit of color. If you think about traditional organizations, what they would typically do is they would spend mind-boggling sums of money building a perimeter and protecting a perimeter. Yeah. And, and in doing so, the assumption that is that actors and devices within the perimeter are more quote-unquote trusted than actors and devices outside the perimeter. Now, from a cybersecurity, not a good idea because once your perimeter gets breached, which you always yeah. plan for, then there's a lot of damage that can be done because of this inherent trust. But also from a modern business perspective, it, it, it doesn't make sense because if you think about a modern company, as I mentioned, SaaS platforms, obviously, mobile devices that, that are outside the perimeter, IoT devices in, in some organizations, they all have to work and communicate and try to, try yeah. to build a perimeter around that. It's, it's, it's futile uh, for, for most companies. And the scale is too big to, to manage as well, isn't it? Well, that's exactly it. It comes a, a fool's errand chasing, chasing to wall off all these different things. This episode is brought to you thanks to Mindful IT. If you're a small or a medium-sized company, needs help with its current projects, or if you prefer to get help and advice now to avoid problems later, Mindful IT can help you out. We sell, service, and manage Linux servers, as well as internal business networks and public-facing internet servers. If you don't want to pay high prices for generic cutie-cutter services or want a custom solution and clearly communicated advice, Mindful IT offers the care and customization that your business deserves. Mention this podcast and get your first consultancy call completely free. For more information, visit our website at mindfulit.net. That is M-I-N-D-F-U-L dot net. What, what kind of challenges do you think companies are going to have or what do have with Zero Trust and how should they overcome them or what's a good direction anyway? I don't think anybody's going to be surprised with the answer and it's implementation. Uh, you know, all plans are great. Mike Tyson said it. I think that's where, where it lands. In. I think if we get a little bit more detail, it's, it's actually scoping the implementation. Yeah. Understanding what you're trying to, and also understanding once you solve that one problem, don't oversolve it, don't solve it again. What I've found in organizations trying to implement, you know, these new architectures and, and philosophies is that they could end up with the worst of both worlds. So they could spend a lot of money, put a lot of hindrance into how people operate in the yeah, business. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, as I mentioned, leave that five 
5%, which is the most critical, such as a handful of admin devices that they don't want to put a zero trust principle around, they're, they're unprotected and they're out in the open. So it is to, to just over-engineer and, uh, and under-deliver when it comes to these, these architectures. One of the, the other kind of things, and I think we're, we're inferring that, is, is actually the overhead of managing these systems as well. Because if there's too big an overhead, they, it doesn't really happen. That, that's, that's exactly it. Now, it doesn't have to be. I mean, if, if, if they implement it correctly, I would argue that a, a good zero-trust architecture is not only an enabler for business, but it's also a cost saver because you're really focusing on protecting in the right way versus overprotecting in, in a way that's not sensible. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, and and, and I, I guess that we've all kind of seen the, the concept that staff, company employees, whatever, they all complain about too much security and it's getting in their way. It's how can this kind of help productivity and make staff feel that this is a much more convenient way to work? I think it's inversely correlated. And you're right about that. I think uh, the more hurdles you are add to people's uh, jobs, the more likely they're not going to do the right thing. They're, they're going to try to cir circumvent that. You know, use your Gmail, for example, sending something that they should have been sent via secure channels. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not that the employees are are malicious oftentimes. It's just no. they need to get on with their work and get on with their job. And I think that's what Sila does really well uh, from, from providing that everything pre-integrated like into Exchange 365, Gmail, uh, one click to encrypt, one click to decrypt, no passwords, biometrics. It, it does that really well. And yes, yeah, it's hugely important for adoption because without adoption, you don't have security and that's a fit to complete it. Yeah, that's very true. Which, which leads in, what do you see the challenges are with zero trust and how do you overcome them? Well, as I mentioned, I think the, the main one is obviously implementation and, and oftentimes yeah. over-engineering. I, I think if you're serious about implementing something as you know, radically different as zero trust, you've got to start with very clear and defined objectives and, and what we call fallible truths that you cannot compromise. On. Okay. okay. Um, I, th I think if you think about, for example, Sealit, that's a data protection organization. So for example, an infallible truth for us would be, we do not want to store uh, the encryption keys for your data so that we cannot decrypt your data. Yeah. And, yeah. and it may seem obvious, but it's hugely complicated to do. You have to look at every design decision at every point mm. and you can you will come into position where it says, well, if we kept the keys for a month, maybe it'll make this feature easier. Yeah. You have to go back to your objective and say, no, that negates zero trust and move on. So what that does is walks us in wow. what you're trying to achieve and how you do it. But at yeah. the same time, what it does for us and what it does for other organizations, it allows you to not resolve the same problem over and over again. Because if you solve it, then, then move on. So if you can't decrypt the data, there's no reason to why you would buy yeah. four ways to prevent that. And that's a, an essential for that, productivity and you shouldn't get it. That makes a lot of sense. See, see the idea, how difficult is that for companies to implement? Is that something they can do themselves or do you, they need specialist skills or? Uh, it's very easy for, for SMEs. It's, it's a sign-up process. Uh, we offload the keys uh, onto mobile devices that, that we don't operate. And that's a very seamless process for organizations to do. For enterprise, uh, we do have this uh, concept of, of uh, private endpoints, private nodes. So that's to say that it's zero, zero trust, because even though we can't decrypt data that, that flows through our systems for, for our clients, yeah. uh, certain enterprise organizations would say that's great, but we still want to host it ourselves. And that's completely understandable. So. Interesting. So they, they have that option and uh, you can help them advise, you know, on, on how exactly. to do that. 
Now, the cool thing is if you are, let's say, at a large enterprise bank using Sealid for your email security, yeah. and you're sending it to a law firm, which also uses Sealid, but is in our cloud tenant, yeah. uh, you don't really know the difference. It's a very seamless experience. It's oh, really? managed to public keys anyways for everybody. Oh, so there's, that's true. there's a, it's a very simple clicking a button and off you go. That's true. That's, that's really excellent. Exchange encrypted emails and files directly from your Outlook or Gmail with one simple click. No more passwords. Sealit relies on a zero-trust security model and biometrics to keep your data safe forever. Book a demo to get a 20% lifetime discount. Just send an email and reference Data Protection Podcast to sales at sealit.id. So I know we, we touched on this kind of briefly before, is that centralized security is dangerous? It can be. It works until it doesn't. <laughs> That that's and and then with I think it's the same. What's it called? Business owners don't know other business owners who have been reached uh, because business owners who have been reached are no longer business owners. And I think that's the thing when it comes to centralized security. It, yeah, it it does fail. You have to and and if you were not worried about your invoicing or or financials or CRM system yeah. getting exposed to the world, then that's fine. But if you are, then then it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, that does make sense. Uh, how does zero trust then help with decentralizing? It can do with, with this model of, of really, you know, maintaining security independently from the security provider. Yeah. So as I mentioned, there's obvious benefits in terms of using a cloud-based CRM or document, sure. document management finance. I can't imagine running a business without that, but, but imagine if you could have the best of both worlds. Imagine if you get these economies of scales, you get these features, you get this functionality. But your data is just being completely useless until you've dispatched uh, a key that you operate on your mobile device. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and when you log in, it's seamless. You have all the features, everything just works. But when you're out of there, every, everything that's in, left there is, is completely useless to anybody who breaches it. And that's kind of what, what Sealit is, uh, is doing. It, it takes away that, that risk, but adds all the benefits of simple secure communications, all encryption. And, and that, so on. That's interesting. You're talking about kind of mobile devices. W would this kind of work well, whether it's a company phone or my own phone, would that lower the risk if it was a BYOD device? I, it works with both. Uh, yeah. when I, I don't see an issue with that. I, I believe that this is where I really like the sealed concept of a trusted identity, which yeah. is very nice with, uh, with zero trust. Trusted identity in the sealed world is a person. But under that person, you have accounts. So you could have you bring your own device, it has a work account on it and yeah. a personal account. But using your biometrics, you can obviously get access to either one of those keys, depending on what you're trying to achieve. So it's really focusing on I am who I say I am, and these are the accounts I have access to and, and prove your identity from there. Um, so doing a usual use case that I see, somebody's been accessing uh, as they should, maybe their work data via their own mobile, and then I, I lose it or it gets stolen. What would happen? So the way Seal is designed, you have the administrator who has the, the re-encryption keys. That's yeah. basically called proxy encryptions. They can recreate access for you in, in those scenarios. And then obviously the administrators are instructed and informed how to, how to secure that key in, in something like KeePass or, or KeyBot that, yeah, yeah. that, that they operate. So yes, the devices will get lost, but the administrator of the organization can basically reissue. Reissue, so I, I can get back to work relatively yes. quickly here. Yeah. Yes, worst case scenario, what's it called? You'd have to regain access by from senders, but that's an edge, edge case scenario that we don't deal with normally. Yeah, that makes sense. You're saying that this would work well in pretty much all environments and smallish companies to big multinationals. How would you say the implementation would work, say, for a smallish company? Would that be possible for them to do, manage, and or would they need to have a CLID ID consultant? 
No, they, they can definitely do it themselves. There, there's a, I'd say, depending on the setup process through registration. Registration doesn't take a lot of time, a couple of minutes to set up the first device, set up first administrator. And then the cool thing with the, with Sealy, because it is native to Gmail and Exchange, the administrator of the organization, if they are also the administrator at Exchange, let's say a company of 20 people, yeah, yeah, push a single button and have that installed in everybody's Outlook at the very moment. So there's no, there's no kind of chasing people and getting it installed. It's really quick, isn't it, then, to, to get in, to get operational right. with it. You yeah. can deploy that in across the whole organization in a couple of seconds, and then you invite your teammates and when they're logging the first time, they obviously set up their phone, scan a QR code, get their keys, and, uh, and then off they go. And there was something you did mention before. If I'm a CLID customer and I send an encrypted email, what if that customer's CLID IT customer? What would happen? That, that's that's what's really cool, actually, because uh, what happens is you simply scan the QR code first time to to join up your identity. And effectively, what we do is we find a way to we found a way to to transport a set of encrypted keys within the email that we don't post, which is to say that even though you weren't a CLID customer before, the moment you scan that QR code. You have your keys and so it's it's a pretty smooth process. Then either way, takes uh, you know. less than forty seconds. You have to download wow. the install the app, and you're kind of you're done. That's it's, it's That's a fantastic. question because uh, a lot of our competitors that could, we we looked at in the market, and there's a lot of complaints that people have to yeah. passwords, yeah, 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 register for for, for to be able. Then, to then half an hour later, you could read the email. Yeah, no, and, exactly. and it says yeah. hello. But here, realistically, there's a huge focus on user experience. There's a huge focus on the our client because our clients are the most important to them. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, equally the most important to us. When that email goes out, that process is really seamless. You lose scan a code and off you go. Yeah, that that sounds very smooth. So, how do you see the future of uh, zero trust? So I, I think the future of Zero Trust is, as I mentioned, it's, it's going to become more prevalent. It's going to become more ado- adopted in, in the industry. I, I see more SaaS businesses applying the Zero Trust models because it makes their security footprint much better. And I think if you look at the future, once it moves more from a philosophy to blueprints and, and really understanding what is Zero Trust in networking, what is Zero Trust in data protection, how do you implement it? I think it'll actually help <clears throat> not only uh, improve security, but also significantly reduce overhead costs for organizations who are currently spending insane amounts yeah, of money. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's almost exponential, isn't it? Everything you look at is going to be a huge hidden cost, isn't it? it absolutely. And I think a lot of it is, is wasted cost because you're overprotecting in certain areas, but leaving yourself open to vulnerabilities where it matters most. The marginal line, I guess, in <laughs> second world war. Where yeah, in the wrong place, but the right stuff. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, good, good analogy. What, what kind of tips have you got for companies who are thinking about how, how they should do zero trust and what they should say to their board is normally the question. How, how do we convince the company we should move in that direction? It really, sometimes it's as easy as looking at the budgets that, that are being spent on IT, on, on IT security for an organization and then pointing out that you're protecting the wrong things. And, and uh, the t- today's uh, vectors of attack are, are different. And there's no way to create that quote-unquote secure perimeter any longer. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think the key aspect, and going back to what I said earlier, is scoping well and understanding those infallible objectives and truths, defining them, getting buy-in from all parties. And if that becomes something that everybody can agree on as a necessary step to reduce risk, uh, then really focus on achieving that using zero trust principles, wherever it makes sense. That, that sounds really good. If, if anyone listening wants to get in touch with uh, CLIT, what what's the best way that they can get in touch with you or the company to explore 
Yeah, Lee, Lee, this is great. Uh, I operate a few emails. Uh, for Sealit, it's uh, Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R dot R at Sealit dot ID. Brilliant. We will have to talk about this again. This is such an interesting subject and you can see that this is how things should go, really. Absolutely. Slow process, but it's like the end, end, is, end is well worth it. And, well it's, worth it. and it's great. There is a technology that's now addressing this. And that's relatively straightforward to use, which is another great benefit. Absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much, yeah, for um, spending a few minutes with us, explaining how it all comes together. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. So thank you so much, Lazar. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe.